Last week, if you were here, I talked about uh, the title of the message was Waiting Room. And uh, I talked about how much of our lives are sometimes like being in a waiting room. Uh, that we are oftentimes waiting for something to happen. And I thought about that in regards to this week's message, and I thought, you know, hospitals really do their best to name their rooms properly. I mean, they really name their rooms for what they're used for in a lot of ways. And sometimes in our homes, that's not even the case. Uh, Many of us have living rooms that we don't live in, We have dining rooms that we don't dine in, and we certainly sometimes have bathrooms that we don't bathe in, but not so with hospitals. Hospitals, if you come to a hospital and you need a place to wait, they have a waiting room, and they have a place for you to wait. They have all kinds of rooms that are aptly named. If, if you go to a hospital and you say, I'm here, there's an emergency, They say, well, you should go to the, we have a room for that. We have an emergency room. And when they were sitting around going, hey, here's a room where the surgeons operate. What should we call it? We'll call it the operating room. And they have an OR. If you need to go and go for an exam, they have an exam room. But there's another room that hospitals have that I've spent some time in uh, a couple times. Well, I've spent there more than a couple times, but on a couple occasions, I've spent some length of time there, and that's something called the delivery room, (laughs) or now I think they're called the labor and delivery rooms. Here's what I learned about the delivery room when I was there for my two kids. It's funny the way that it's named delivery room. I think it means different things to different people, uh, and maybe different things to my wife than it is to me. Because when I heard the term delivery room, the reason I thought it was called a delivery room is because this is the room that will deliver my son or my daughter into my arms. And this is why it's called the delivery room. For my wife, I think it was a little more, this is the place that I am going to be delivered from nine months of having to carry around a person in my boom. And I am going to be delivered from all the effects that that has had on me from the last nine months and through some pain, but ultimately delivered from it. It is the delivery room. And, you know, last week we talked about that many times life is like a waiting room. I think many times also life is like a delivery room. There's many times if we look at life that we are waiting to be delivered from something or that we are waiting for something to be delivered to us. And it's like a delivery room. We are waiting constantly to be delivered, or if I could use another word, to be saved from something. There are many things in our life, and I don't know what it is in your mind that comes to mind right now, but many things in our lives that often we are saying, I'd like to be delivered, I'd like to be saved from that. The passage of scripture that Pastor Marvin read earlier about Palm Sunday had these people shouting these words. From Matthew chapter 21, we can see these words. Right at Palm Sunday, so the beginning of Holy Week, that's where we are. If you're not familiar with kind of Christian um, theology, Palm Sunday is the beginning of Holy Week or the week before Jesus was crucified. So you have Palm Sunday, he came into Jerusalem. 
uh, Monday, Thursday, some of you might come from traditions that recognize and really celebrate Monday, Monday, Thursday, where Jesus was with his disciples, washed their feet, uh, celebrated that last supper. Good Friday was the day he was betrayed. Uh, at was betrayed the night before, crucified on Good Friday, early that morning, crucified, and then rose again on Sunday morning. And so Palm Sunday is the beginning of that week. And what happened at the beginning of that week is Jesus was coming into the city, and it says the disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, placed their cloaks on him, and Jesus sat on them. And a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees, palm trees, and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Now we sang a song this morning, a couple songs that use that word Hosanna. And you probably, many of you might have said, what does that mean? What am I saying? What are they asking me to sing when they say that word Hosanna? Well, the word Hosanna is really a Hebrew word that means a couple things, but in its most simplest form, just means save. Um, A little more involved, it could mean Lord save or Lord save us. And so they're crying out to Jesus as he rides into the city, Lord, save us. Lord, save me. Lord, deliver us. And that's what they're crying out for to Jesus. But the question, the, the prayer itself, and it really is a simple prayer, right? Save. It's one word. It's a prayer that you don't even have to be a religious person to pray. In fact, I think many non-religious people throughout the years have prayed this prayer if they've prayed no other. Save. You get in a desperate situation and you may have never darkened the doors of a church in your life, but you look around and you say, you know, I've heard there's a creator and I'm in a desperate time. Save me or Lord, save me. It's the simplest prayer that a person can pray. Lord, save me. Desperate situation, maybe someone's in a, you know, you're in a plane and all of a sudden there's all kinds of turbulence and someone who never walks into a church is all of a sudden praying this prayer, Lord, save me. Simple prayer. But the prayer itself begs a question, doesn't it? It's almost like an incomplete sentence. Lord, save me. But save me from what? Uh, Lord, save me. But save me from What's the end of that prayer? What is it that I'm being asked to be saved from? What is it that I need to be saved from? The truth is there's many things in our lives that probably if we come into this room this morning, if we went around, there'd be many different answers to what we want to be delivered from. And there's many different places we look for that delivery. Some might say, Lord, save me from sickness. Lord, save me from overwhelming grief that I'm experiencing. Some of you may have experienced a great loss. Lord, save me from pain, from difficulty in life. Lord, save me from my past, the hurts I've caused others and the hurts that they have caused me. Lord, save me from oppression, financial difficulties. Lord, save me from anxiety. God, save me from addiction. There may be all kinds of prayers in this room today that we cry out to, Lord, save me. And there's all kinds of places that people often look for that salvation. 
We look for it in political leaders. We look for it in money or sociology or psychology. We look for it in removal of oppression. We look for it in technology. We look for it in medicine. All kinds of places where we might look for this salvation. You don't have to look past the shelves at Barnes & Noble to understand this. New York Times ran an article on all the self-help industry that this has become. Self-help industry has become an $11 billion industry. Why? Because people are looking for things to be saved from. People are looking for things to be helped with. And there's all kinds of books out there. Books, some of the most popular that they listed in this article. How to make people like you in 90 seconds or less. So uh, maybe that's Lord, save me from loneliness. Another book out there, how to make a lasting good impression from teeth to breath to handshake to small talk. Lord, save me from embarrassment, maybe. Or another one, influence the psychology of persuasion. Lord, save me from not having influence or save me from being ignored. All kinds of books that are out there that are trying to make an improvement that are really an ultimate answer to this cry. But when those things don't work, sometimes people eventually get to the place. Sometimes people start there, but many times if you're not a person that attends church and you're not a person that is in a you know, relationship with God, it may be the last place you go, but they get to the place where they say, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. What about the people that were crying out on that day with these palms? What were they saying it for? Well, to be honest, I read you the scripture of the account, and there's really not much more to it. We're not given an answer to what they were wanting salvation from. We can guess, but we don't know for sure. Um, What we can know is that many of the followers of Jesus had all kinds of different and very divergent opinions of what they were hoping Jesus would save them from. There was one man named Simon the Zealot, you know, who was a part of this group of zealots who was zealous for his nationalism and his country. And he would have said, Jesus, you know, I want you to save us from the political oppression we're experiencing. And maybe some of you are asking that today. There were others there, James and John, who thought Jesus was bringing in an earthly kingdom. And they would wave their palms and there would be those there that would say, Jesus, save us and set up your earthly kingdom. James and John said, we want to sit on your right and left when you're king. We want to be powerful. Save us from our powerlessness. There were others that no doubt had heard about the great healings and miracles Jesus had done. Lord, would you save me from my sickness? Would you save me from my disease? Whatever that they were there for, and we can't know for sure, one thing we can know is that most, if not all of them, had no idea what was going to happen in the next six, seven days. And most, if not all of them, had no understanding that everything that was about to happen was actually an answer to their prayer. Lord, save us. Maybe not the answer that they were expecting or wanting or desiring, but it was the answer that they needed. It was the salvation that ultimately they needed. The words of this, um, that they were crying out, actually come from Psalm 118. 
They were words that were spoken many, many years before Palm Sunday, and they were simply reciting the words of a psalm that was written many years before. And the psalm in Psalm 118, I have the closing verses there for you, but let me read the beginning verses of the psalm and how it captures this heart of someone praying and crying out for the Lord to save him. And it says this, the beginning of the psalm says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his love endures forever. And then he says this, In my anguish I cried to the Lord, and he answered by setting me free. The Lord is with me, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? The Lord is with me. He is my helper. I will look in triumph on my enemies. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It's better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Goes down from there, continuing to ask the Lord for his provision. But I want to jump down to the part of the psalm that those worshipers were speaking on that day. Verse 25 says, O Lord, save us. That's the word Hosanna. O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And so they took this prayer of this psalm. And the reason they took this psalm is because they would have sung this every Passover week. Every time, and this was the feast that they were celebrating, they would have sung this psalm every year. They would have said these words every year. But this year was different because they were applying them to Jesus. And they said, they were crying out to him, Oh Lord, save us. But the truth is, neither Psalm 118 nor the Gospels I read you give any completion to the sentence. Lord, save us from what? The prayer makes an assumption. Save us makes an assumption. And here's the assumption. The assumption is we know what we need saving from. The assumption is that we are asking for an answer and we know the right question to ask. The assumption is that, Lord, I'm crying out to you and I'm asking you for something and what I'm asking for is really what I need. But how many of you are in here who are parents or have or have had relationship with children that know sometimes what they ask for is what they want. And it may not be a bad thing for them, but it may not really be what they need. How many times has your child come to you and said, oh, can I have this? And it's not a bad thing. And in another time, it might be the right thing. But it's not always what they ultimately need from you. And I think sometimes we approach God the same way. Lord, save me from this sickness or this difficulty, this challenge, this grief. Lord, save me from this intense time that I'm going through. And yet I'm assuming that I know what I really need saving from. And here's the thing. As I mentioned, they were speaking these words without really understanding what they were saying. And Jesus was ultimately going to answer the question of what they really needed saving from. What they needed saving from more than anything, he was going to answer that question. The truth is that Jesus himself wrestled with this. Um, 
Monday, Thursday, after the Last Supper. He went by himself. He went with a few disciples into a garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. And he went and he prayed. And the gospel writers record his prayer. And he prayed, Father, if there's any other way that this can be accomplished, then would you let this cup pass from me? And what cup is he talking about? The pain of the cross. If there's any other way to accomplish what I came to accomplish, salvation, then Lord, let it be that way. Don't make me go through the cross. But then he closed out that prayer. Father, your will, not my will be done. And this is what Jesus was saying. Father, I'd like to be saved from this pain. I'd like there to be another way, but if there is no other way, then I will go through it because that's what's most important is salvation. And what he was ultimately saying is this. What we really need saving from more than anything Lord, save us from our sins. And that's not a popular statement. That's not a popular, that's not a popular topic in our day and age. Some people might say, well, that's a leftover concept from an earlier age. But what Jesus was saying is, Lord, what people ultimately need is salvation from their sins. Because Jesus healed a lot of people but every one of them, to my knowledge, died later. Jesus raised a a man from the dead named Lazarus, but to my knowledge, Lazarus isn't walking around today. So he saved him from some things for a short amount of time, but what he knew was ultimately is what we need salvation from is our sins. Because Ultimately, that prayer, Lord, save us, is not a bad prayer. It's not a wrong prayer. It's simply an incomplete prayer. It's simply a good prayer, but maybe not the best prayer. It's like if you were on a plane and that plane starts, you know, the turbulence starts, and more than that, that plane starts going down. And I saw a report this week of a plane that happened just like that coming into New York, and they thought that plane was going down, and, and, uh, and they thought it was going to, you know, they weren't sure if it was going to be able to land. And I'll bet there were plenty of people on that plane that prayed that simple prayer, Lord, save us. And it's a good prayer. In that moment, it's a prayer I will be praying if if I'm in that moment, but it's not the best prayer because I'm asking for temporary salvation because many people will pray that prayer while the plane is going down, but as soon as it lands safely, they go on with their lives. It's like the guy who's driving through the parking lot around Christmas time looking for a parking space and he's getting so frustrated he can't find a parking space and he finally says, God, if you're up there, if you get me a parking space right up front, I will go to church this Sunday and serve you all the days of my life and the moment he prays that prayer, he comes around the corner and there's a parking spot right in the front row and he says, never mind God, I found one. (laughs) And we we want the short-term answer but all the short-term answer is is pointing to our long-term need See, everything else is just a symptom of the larger problem. Everyone has to answer the question, why is this world the way it is? Why are there planes that go down and don't stay in the air? Why are there parents that end up burying their children? Why is there 
the difficulty and the pain and the struggle that I have. Everyone needs to have an answer for that question. I don't know what your answer for that question is, but I can tell you this morning what the Bible's answer and what God's answer is. The answer to that question is because sin came into the world and changed it forever in such a way until God comes and ends this world as we know it. And so we need, Lord, save us from our sins because sin is the problem and Jesus provided the solution. The reason we have pain and all these other things we want saving from is because sin came into the world. Jesus did a lot of good things, but the ultimate thing he did was provide a healing for our sins. So you might ask, does that mean, Pastor, if I come to Jesus that I'll never have pain? No. When we come to Jesus with this prayer, Lord, save me from my sins, it doesn't mean that all the pain and difficulty goes away. That's not what it means at all. We still live in a world that's tainted and infected with the disease of sin. It's kind of like if you put a healthy fish in a polluted pond, it's still, you know, you put that fish in and it's healthy, but it's going to be affected by the environment that's around it and experience some of the consequences of the environment that's around it. You become a Christian, you start following God, you put your trust in him, you ask God to save you from my sins. As far as I know, as far as the statistics I checked, every Christian, just like every non-Christian, still experiences physical death. You still experience pain. And if you're on that plane that's going down, you still, there's still Christians that end up on planes that go down. There's still Christians that end up in tragedies. It doesn't mean that all the pain and all the difficulty goes away. But it means that I have my greatest need dealt with. It means that my eternal long-term need is dealt with. See, don't miss the long-term solution because of a short-term need. Many people, when the plane is going down, will cry out, Lord, save me. Will becoming a Christian and being saved from the penalty of sin take away every pain in your life? No. But here's, here's I think, a helpful way of understanding it. A pastor put it this way, and I, it stuck with me. In Christ, when you come to him and you say, Lord, save me, you're saved immediately from the penalty of your sins. And I'm saved immediately from the penalty and the guilt that my sin has occurred against a holy and a perfect God. Every action has a consequence. And I'm saved immediately from the consequences of that sin. Penalty. I am being saved from the power of that sin in my life. Those things in my life, those decisions and choices I've made, those things that are affecting me, I am being saved from the power of sin in my life, and I will one day be saved from the presence of sin completely. When you come into heaven and come into God's presence and come into that place, no more. No more pain. No more difficulty. No more presence. No more polluted water. No more corrupted worlds. And so the biggest need has been met. And so... The prayer I'd ask you this morning as we come to the close of this message this morning is what are you asking to be saved from? I think many of us would say a lot of good things that we would ask to be saved from. There's nothing wrong with asking to be saved from pain, difficulty, grief. God cares about those things. I prayed for those things just a few minutes ago. We prayed, God, would you comfort these families? 
God, would you walk with them? God, would you heal? God, would you walk through surgery? God, would you? That is not a bad prayer to pray, but please, what I'm asking you this morning is don't miss the long-term solution, the long-term need Jesus really came to address by focusing so much on the short-term pain and need that you might feel in your life. Because the ultimate prayer Jesus came to answer was, Lord, save me from my sins. Save me from the hurt that it causes others. Save me from the hurt that it causes me. Save me from the pain and hurt that it caused you. Lord, save me from my sins. Let me close with this. Just before this, um, just before this verse of Lord, save us, is one other verse that is sometimes familiar to a lot of people. It's Psalm 118, verse 24. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. And I've got to be honest with you, growing up in church, I've heard that verse a lot. And I've often thought about it as any day is a day that God has made. And we should be glad that we have it as a gift. And there's some truth to that. But as I read Psalm 118 this week, I realized that that's not really what he's saying. He's saying this particular day, when I cry out, Lord, save us, when I see what God has done, this particular day was brought about by God. This day where, I didn't read the part where it says it, but this day where the stone the builders rejected becomes the capstone, this particular day God made, let us rejoice and be glad. In other words, it's not just from sundown to sundown or sun up to sun up or a 24-hour period of time. In other words, what it is, is God has orchestrated all of the circumstances, providentially providing, providentially directing, providentially guiding to such a way that this day could occur in your life. This day, God made happen. So rejoice and be glad in it. And so I put it to you this way, and I would say that this day and this moment is a day that God has created and made happen for you. And you think you're here because you chose to be here, or you think you're here because someone invited you to be here, or you think you're here because your kid wanted to find Easter eggs. I would argue you're here because God made this day orchestrated the circumstances, providentially put you in the relationships that placed you in this seat this morning at this moment to consider this question. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, save me from my sins. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Lord, save me from my sins. And maybe this morning, this day, Maybe you've asked God to save you from all kinds of things. And God in his grace and mercy, I'm sure, has answered many of those prayers. But the ultimate prayer he wants to answer and he came to answer for you is, Lord, save me from my sins. Because that gives you not just the short-term answer, it gives you an eternal one. Would you pray with me? We bow our heads and close our eyes and... I ask you to do that for no other reason 
than because I want you to have some time with just you and God. When we have our eyes open and we're looking around, we're often focused on other people. But here's what I believe. One day, there's not going to be any other people around, and it's just you and your maker. It's just you and God. And in that day, the only, the only thing we'll have to stand on is really God's mercy. The only thing we'll have to fall on is God's mercy because we know we're sinners. We know we've fallen short of the standards of a perfect and holy God. And in that day, the only answer and the only argument we have is God have mercy on me and that I have, don't look upon my sin, but look upon your son who I've put my faith and trust in, who I cried out for to save me from my sins. And if you're here this morning and you've never done that, but maybe this morning is the time you want to do that. Maybe God has orchestrated this moment, this day, for you to be able to respond and say, God, save me from my sins. Maybe you have asked him to save you from all kinds of things. And maybe you've been sitting in church for most of your life and you have never said to God, God, save me from my sins. And perhaps today would be that moment. If that's you, I'm going to ask you to do nothing more than to let, let the Lord know that. Cry out to him. And I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to do anything more than just to lift your hand and say, God, that's me. I want to be saved from my sins. That's my prayer today. That's my prayer. I've asked you to save me from many other things. But this morning, I want your ultimate healing. And I'm asking you to save me from my sins. And I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to get out of your seat. All I'm going to ask you to do is just lift your hand to God and say, God, that's me. That's me. And I want to pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands. God, you see these hands. Lord, you see these hands. You see these hands. Father, you said in your word that if we will confess our sins and believe in our heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will be faithful to forgive us and to save us. Lord, I pray for every man and woman and the young people I saw that lifted their hand today. God, I ask that you'd be faithful to your word. God, that you would, Father, come into their life and be their Lord, because the first part of that prayer is, Lord, save me. But also, Lord, be their salvation. That they no longer have to fear death because of your resurrection. That they no longer have to fear those in this world who might hurt them and hate them because of your power within them and because you love them and because you are for them. Lord, I pray that you come into their life and help them to walk with you lead them, guide them, and let them know of your love for them. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.